Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. My name is Paul O'Need and I am your host. And I'm not going to count episodes, as you know. I'm also very sweaty, so here we are. Uh, I am joined by a great friend of mine and a tremendous clinician, Jen Bushel. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always find these intros like really awkward because we just spoke oh, right. for like 10 minutes beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> lovely to meet you good to see you again yeah, great to see you. um so for folks who don't know you and I mean it's unfortunate that I think since you don't have a big online presence you've only recently started posting more of your information there's going to be a lot of people who don't know who you are but you're someone who I've come to over the years whenever I've had the most complex of issues with either myself or clients and you always seem to be a magician so I'm wondering if you could give a, a little background into uh, your professional history, what brought you to where you are today? Sure. Um, it's really not a clear cut answer there. Uh, I, so I'm an athletic therapist by background, um, sort of was a competitive athlete myself in university. I did kinesiology as an undergrad, it's one of those things like, I want to be an astronomer. I also want to do music and I also really like sport. <laughs> what path you go into? Uh, but it, you know, kinesiology fit well with, I did, uh, I ran track at Dalhousie. Um, and I was always freaking injured and just your, you know, your rehab process through that. And you end up meeting a few clinicians that sort of sparked that little light bulb in you. Um, and yeah, so after that, I thought, well, I would like to rehab athletes. So I thought maybe being a physio was the route for me. And I actually had a professor, like I used to eat Thanksgiving dinner at her house, right? So I was like, yeah, can you write me a recommendation for physio? She said, I will not write you one. I was like, I thought we were friends here. She said, you would be so bored as a physio. I guess if you picture physio as like the typical, like working in a hospital or that kind of thing. She right. said, if you wanted to do athletic therapy, I'm hands down, would write you whatever you want. I was like, I've never even heard of this profession um but it yeah married all of what I wanted to do together so it's like working with active individuals excuse me like high level sport weekend warriors but just people that like wanted to move like their body still that I did I worked in a physio clinic in my undergrad a little bit and it was mind you it was like a motor vehicle accident workman's comp type clinic and like nobody really wanted to get better nobody had any body awareness just like beating your head against a wall um I was yeah it was brutal yeah. Uh, I used to do ocean rescue in the States, um, competitive athlete, like all this stuff. So being an AT just seemed to like bring all that together. And it like took all of my background into account too, for when you apply to school. Uh, so I got fast tracked through athletic therapy. Uh, and then I worked for a few years at university of Toronto, which was just a phenomenal place to work. Cause it's got sport med and sport physio and sport massage and athletic therapy and everybody's working it's just this like big cohesive unit to treat all the athletes and it's a high performance center too wow um so that's when i started working with our national basketball team as well so i traveled with them for a little bit uh and then i thought like i love this place like i could live and die here though right like I, this could be like where i end up and i was like there's just so much professional growth to do like i still want to do research so I ended up going down to the University of Oregon. I feel like, well, yeah, it's just you and I. I was like, I'm the only one doing the talking. No, this is <laughs> anyway, great. So I ended up going down to the University of Oregon. Um, 
and it's great in the States because I'm already certified AT. So I just had to challenge their exam rather than totally redo all school down there. Okay. And then I got to work as a certified athletic trainer down there, but at the same time do my master's degree with the university. So it really brought that together. Cause if you're like, there's only six of you guys in this program. So if you're out on the road with a team, like I'm in Arizona with the tennis team or whatever, I can still zoom into one of our classes. They work our class schedule around the fact that we're treating all the athletes. Uh, so it worked Very really cool. well. So, yeah. So I did my research down there and I ended up being published in the journal of strength conditioning research. Cool. Um, yeah. Which sort of like started all that off, like just a passion for research and pulling in all these multiple brains and minds into what you do. Cause AT doesn't have a lot of, um, it didn't used to have a lot of research behind it. Like, I don't know if you know that old adage, like a mom's teaching a kid how to cook a Christmas ham or something. And she's like, yes, yeah. so we cut the ends off and you put it in the pan. And the daughter says, well, why do we cut the ends off the ham? She's like, well, I don't know. That's what my mom did. She asked her and she's like, well, I don't know. That's what my mom did. And then right. the woman's like, oh, I just, I didn't have a pan big enough. Right. But it just like <laughs> filters down. And that's like the standard of sport medicine is just what we've all been doing anecdotally with athletes on the sideline for years. So uh, there's just been a lot more research coming out that way and our best practices uh, yeah, so did that. And then, then I moved to Ottawa. So I took a job as a head therapist for the University of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. uh, and did that for two years. And essentially, they're sort of figured out that there's such a big gap. Once you're finished in competitive sport, you're just cut loose. And I mean, I just had an assessment an hour ago on someone that fit that bill exactly like paid played competitive sport in the US for four years patched their pain together with you know meds and band-aids and stuff and now it's done and they can't do life like they can't move without pain and now it's trying to fix it and they have no access to their team they they don't have funding anymore uh right. so that sort of opened up the world that excuse me my colleagues and i are in now where we pulled in a bunch of like-minded professionals of all sorts of different professions and we all work together to like treat all these people when they don't have that competitive uh, like varsity sport or a national team sort of sport support anymore. So we are that. There's a, there's a lot to pull out of that because the first thing that jumped out to me, and this is something that kind of slapped me in the face when we first met, because I hear, I hear athletic trainer or athletic therapist, and I think tapes ankles <laughs> because the environment that I was in, in the U S when I was working down there, I won't name the schools that I was at. They taped ankles. They applied ice and stem and they did some return to sports stuff. But then I mean, I can tape an ankle in 30 seconds, but like just one part of the <laughs> right. <job. laughs> right. Then I meet you who I think my first experience was, was hearing about you treating some of my athletes because they were former you, you Ottawa athletes. And I was like, I'm having some hip and knee stuff is when that was first starting for me. And I go to see you and I'm like, this is not the athletic trainer that I'm used to seeing. And I want to kind of, and I think part of that is because you yourself were a competitive athlete at a high level. So I think you understand the rigors of that. So maybe could you go into your competitive history a little bit? Like I know most recently it was triathlon, but has it always been triathlon? No, it was track. And uh, <laughs> then I went to the university of Oregon, like, track town usa yeah, for sure. i don't think i'm that good an athlete you know to do that um i ended up being recruited to the university of oregon triathlon team 
Oh. And I was like, I mean, like I did ocean rescue in the state, so I can swim pretty decently. Uh, and I was like, I know how to ride a bike. Like <laughs> learned that when I was seven, I guess. Uh, yeah, and I can run. So I think my like first race ever, I qualified for U.S. Nationals. Oh on, wow! Like, my like trusty old steed. His name was Steve. He's my little bike. He's I still have him. Um, you still yeah, have your old bike? Yeah, I love him. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. So I've got like some high performance bikes now. The appropriate number of bikes is N plus one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so I just, I got into travel in that way and I was like, oh, I guess I'm pretty decent at it. So started training with the university for a few, few years while I was down there. And then coming to moving to Ottawa, like the first thing I did, cause I've never lived here before, but I've traveled here for sports. Uh, I was like Ottawa triathlon. And it's like the first thing is auto triathlon club. They had a high performance group and I joined them and, yeah, I, I qualified for worlds like every year that I competed and did that. And then uh, took a little break when I got pregnant and I'm trying to get back to it now because my kids are about a year and a half. So I did, yeah. I did a triathlon though with them like 30 weeks postpartum. That was not ideal, but it was fun. <laughs> you did it with them? Well, like they joined me at the end in a stroller kind of thing. But... I was going to say, would you like swim with them on a floaty? Yeah, they, just, they can hold a breath. <laughs> Um, so to me that like that competitive history and how you, you know, you transition from one sport to another and you're involved in high level athletics, like anyone who knows college athletics knows the university of Oregon, right? They know the prestige that comes along with the position there. And and probably the, if I'm not mistaken, they have one of the largest number of varsity programs of any university because of the funding. Yeah. So you probably worked with a wide variety of sports there. So I'm wondering if you can dive a little bit into, you know, essentially what was my exposure to you initially in that assessment process, this lens with which you view movement, because off the top of my head, there's only two people I can think of in this whole world who I've met, spoken to about movement and been like, oh, they're on a different level. I mean, it's you and then my coach, Danny LaMartina, who's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. But I, I would love to know, like, what has shaped this view of human movement that you have? Um, That's actually a really interesting question. Like, you sort of take for granted, we've talked about this before, I'm like, doesn't everybody view it this way? Because it's just how I've always seen it. It's like, I don't know, I love puzzles. Right. Like, currently one to go right now that my friend's working on behind me <laughs> uh but just like being able to piece things together and see how they work and I just have a weird understanding of the human body like it just makes sense to me like calculus does not make sense to me the human body makes sense to me okay. uh and then yeah I guess just having that right exposure where like the University of Oregon for example is like a pretty rigorous academic program and it's very much student driven like they redefine the accreditation process for how they do things uh but it was just like you know you come out of that and it's like i actually know less now than i did before i went into it because the more you know the less you know of course more research behind this and and so suddenly you know you can skew anything to match whatever view you want to have of something but it's just i think making understanding that you don't know everything so there's lots of referrals that happen in our practice I'm not the one that can solve it all. 
I'm the one that knows how to um, dele- not delegate, but like send you out to the proper resources so that you're not just throwing darts at a dartboard. Uh, yeah. And just like lots of, lots of learning, lots of research papers, lots of watching people move. Like at this point, you know, since 2008, like how many bodies have, have you touched? How many athletes have you seen perform movements? You know, like I'm not a dragon boater. I have a lot of dragon boat athletes. So what do you do? You learn about dragon boating. Yeah. I have a, <laughs> so I, I guess it's just sort of looking at it that way. Like I have such a wide scope, but also like a, a niche focus. It's interesting, interesting you say that because, you know, when I think of my experience over the years, working with three different post-grad institutions in the U.S., working at Queens here, around 500 student athletes per year. They're in the weight room three or four times a week. That's a lot of squats, benches, deadlifts, lunges, presses. So you see a lot of movement. And then I think of the different educational opportunities that I've taken over the years, different certifications and things like that. You accumulate these, essentially these filters. And like when you go to the doctor or the eye doctor and they say, you know, they put the filter on and they say better or worse. And then they flip the filter better or worse. And I find just because I have so many filters and then you can combine filters and then switch them out. You have this ability to reframe the concept of what a movement should look like, then look at how it actually is. And now you can start to have this process of elimination with regards to what the problem is. Uh, were there any maybe certifications or books or anything that you can point to that has kind of expanded your toolbox? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It's like the more people you treat, the more you start to realize what you don't know or a gap in your knowledge. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've done a, a bunch of certifications post, you know, uh, schooling, I guess, in you know, even in like kettlebells or like soft tissue release or Braston, um, like muscle energy technique, like all the different techniques that are out there in therapy that you get exposed to in school. Then went ahead and did the whole course on them uh, to get that way, like a a better shoulder assessment course, the selective functional movement guys, like FMS stuff, right? Like they, they apply a a pretty nice overview uh, to things. And I think a lot of people, like even at the different universities I've been at, you see variations of those functional movement screens. Yes. And then you filter them down and make it what you need to make it that works the best for you. Uh, I digress. So I was noticing a big gap in that I was missing, there was a missing piece and I knew it. And a lot of these people that I was seeing and that missing piece was something internal. Like it wasn't just, this isn't just musculoskeletal. There's something internal that's going on here. And so then I, I always take courses from accredited institutions. And so I did uh, my visceral course um, and then uh, my cranial sacral because we work with so many concussions too, right? So um, big one there. And so I did those two certifications and and with those two, like you have to practice, you know, what is it like touch at least a hundred bodies and do a hundred hours or something until you can do even the next level um, of those. So that's nice too, because they don't just let you just like go one after the other. And if it's a certain amount of time, you have to re, uh, what's it called? When you just sit down on the course again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whatever that word is when you just sit down on a course. But yeah. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, I did my visceral level one. 
And then I did uh, pelvic visceral, which is really great with like a lot of postpartum and even like 30 years later, postpartum for females, lots of male stuff too. Uh, but there is that whole link inside, like our fascia and everything like that is not just superficially on your IT band or your, you know, pecs or something like that. Right. It melts all the way through. It's how our organs don't just fall out of our butts when you're walking around. So there's, there's going to be tightnesses that arise from there and like the same patterns that you've been in for five years and suddenly you're injured and you're trying to unravel the last five years of movement. There's going to be adhesions that have formed and Anyway, so I did that and it's been a huge missing piece in my practice was getting into that stuff. That's yeah. You were the first person who I would ever heard talk about that sort of thing. And it was, I mean, the sensation of having your organs moved is very weird. Yeah. Was, I felt like you were inside me in a very non-intimate way. <laughs> <laughs> eye contact the whole yeah. time <laughs> i i'm really hoping that the guy who does the reels for us clips the part where you say so your organs don't fall out of your butt and then <laughs> then the part where i say i felt like you were inside me um <clears throat> so with the visceral stuff combined with all of the other things i think the big question i would have is knowing all that you know, how do you not go down rabbit holes with people? How do you not get so sucked into one way of thinking? Because the, the, the predominating sense that I get from interacting with so many coaches is you attach yourself to one framework or you attach yourself to one thought process. And that is what you use for everything. So it's essentially you're walking around with a hammer and everything's a nail. Whereas you're telling me, that you looked at areas of weakness, you looked at gaps in your education, you tried to find different ways to fill them. And now you, in, instead of having just one hammer, you have a full toolbox. How do you, how do you decide what tool goes where? Um, I guess, yeah, it, experience. That's I mean, the answer. other thing is too, like people can talk, right? Like everybody knows this, you can have a conversation with a patient that sits down in your office and they can talk about themselves and they're the ones that are already in the rabbit hole. Yes, always. And so it is easier because you don't, you don't want to join that rabbit hole. You're like, I don't, I don't really need to know this detail, right? Like tell it all to me and I'm going to pick the pieces that apply. Like I don't want you to hold anything back, but I can't enter that rabbit hole with you. We'll end up talking about your, you know, the fact that you've introduced minerals into your diet when you're here for an ankle pain, right? Like it, it just, they go so far, <laughs> so far down. So that helps is you're that objective person, right? Right. And I guess too, I don't want to keep seeing somebody in my office. Like I'm, I'm busy enough. I don't need, I don't need you forever. I want you to get better and I want you to go perform. Like that's the whole goal of my job. The terrible business model. And I know I'm a business coach. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in sports so someone always goes yeah, wrong again of course um and there's yeah referrals but so if in say like three treatments or um you know a certain amount of time things aren't changing and things aren't getting better then either my assessment was wrong or my intervention is wrong 
Right. Like it's not a you problem. It's a me problem. And I'm not just going to sit here and be like, well, let's keep doing it when nothing's changing. Like that doesn't do anything for either of us. Right. Uh, and so you always have to sort of willing to sort of take yourself further out of it and be like, what am I missing? What didn't go on there? Which yeah. leads us into like, how do you do an assessment in the first place? So you don't miss those things. Man, someone should totally do a course on that. <laughs> um yeah, no, I love what you said about being that objective observer. And that's something that I think people miss. They think, okay, especially let, let's talk in the context of a strength and conditioning coach, because that's my world. You know, you look at a squat bench and deadlift, you look at a couple of assistance movements, and you're like, yeah, I know how to fix you. But the more you speak to somebody and the more you learn about the context of their life, their relationships, their values, their goals, that stuff matters. It's not all just sets and reps. And I love that you brought that in. It's uh, <clears throat> to me, it's, it's probably the thing that allows a coach to make the biggest impact in the lives of their clients is, is forming that relationship and having an understanding of who this person is on a deeper level. And I can only imagine how helpful that is to get that sort of history about a client because it fills in the gaps for you as a clinician as to like, man, how come every month you start to have this pain? Oh, because every month you have reports due for your boss and you don't sleep for four days. Let's start to fix that. Right. Um, you know, with the discussion of assessment, with the discussion of intervention, there comes a point, and this is a, a a really interesting topic that I'm excited to speak to you about. It's the idea of bridging the gap between what goes on in the therapy room, what goes on in the weight room, and then what goes on on the sporting field. Because something that's hotly debated, and I'll use the, the like I'll use Stuart McGill as an example. This guy has been doing what he does for over 30 years and helping some of the most high-performing athletes return to sport and excel. And then you have these research warriors who come in and say, no, he used pig spines and this is stupid and bird dogs are dumb and you need to lift. And I'm, I'm sitting here as a, you know, open-minded observer on the outside and thinking, well, can't we do both? <laughs> and then how do you bridge the lifting, the rehab to someone who's going to run full speed face first into another person. <laughs> Can you give me kind of like your overarching philosophy on return to sport? Like what, do, what does that look like for you? Yeah, that's, um, there's a few ways to start that, that are going about my head. Um, I guess one of it is like the typical view I think of a therapist is to look at like joint by joint, like your shoulder hurts. So it's your sure. shoulder. Yeah. Like there's that whole adage, like when you hear who feeds, like think horses, not zebras kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it's taking that full picture. There is like, you have to think like top down, bottom up, like what's going on in your life. So you are like, I get people all the time and you ask them in an assessment. So walk me through your training plan, right? And they're like, oh yeah, no, like I lift weights, I do three times a week. Like I had this one guy, he's, yeah. So he's like an ex-competitive gymnast. He also went into powerlifting for a few years and now he's in triathlon. And so he had 
told me this and I was like and he's like yeah so I lift three times a week I was like well then you know what you're doing like but you but just for shits and giggles like walk me through how you would set up your brace or walk me through what you do and there's like huge gaps there so it's not just taking things for granted in that and then you know then he used to be a fencer and so he has like no brace on his right side because that's the leg that leads out he has like very little like proprioceptive awareness of what his one leg is doing he braces for a deadlift because you can get hurt but not for a squat because he can just lift heavy things it's just what he can do like but there's a brace right so it's kind of interesting when you i'm over here thinking about what my spine would do if i didn't brace the squat (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so here's a piece that we are missing Right. Like, you know, walking that through. And I feel like I totally went off on a tangent to your actual question. Um, but like bridging, <laughs> bridging that gap, there's where we're at. Uh, we talked about this the other day. It's like functional movement. Right. I guess. And like what's functional for the individual. So if somebody's lifting all in the frontal plane, like they are squatting, they are deadlifting, they're bench pressing. Outside of things going wrong, like you're mostly operating that frontal plane. Right. And then they're jumping out onto like the sport field because they still play soccer like one or two times a week, say they're not even like, you know, varsity right. days, like just the one or two times a week. And then they get shocked when they get like Achilles pains and calf strains and like all these things, hamstrings. Oof. But I'm like, what do you do that mimics any of that like twisting, transfer, sagittal plane, like any of those movements besides play soccer? Right. And there's like, yeah. There's no gap that bridges that. So I don't know why people get so surprised when they get hurt in these movements when they don't train those movements. And that's one thing I saw uh, often. I mean, I've been around some very high-level strength and conditioning coaches, and I've been around some strength and conditioning coaches that probably shouldn't have been in the positions they were in. But the common denominator between all of them is there was some sort of nuanced viewpoint of what are the demands of the sport and how can I accommodate for those demands in the weight room? And I think when I say that it can get easily conflated into let's start running with weight vests and throwing heavy balls. And, you know, if we're competing in, uh, uh, what should we call it? Javelin, we're going to throw heavy javelin or, And that's not what I mean at all. What I mean is, let's look at the joint forces that we're putting through. Let's look at the force vectors that we're going to be exposed to. And let's try to train in those ranges. It doesn't mean that you need to be, you know, bounding all over the place, but maybe there should be an element of jumping. Maybe there should be an element of throwing. Maybe there should be an element of absorbing force. And I think having a nuanced understanding of movement and how that works I guess the question is for you, what would be the process of working with, because you're not a strength and conditioning coach. So how oh, do you. Certification. Oh yeah, you do have that certification. But it's just, it's just a cert, right? That's true. That's true. Um, how do you go about working with that athlete who maybe has its her, their own coach? Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's sort of back to the assessment, like the very non-sexy part of an assessment is this like long history that you're taking, where you're asking all these questions. And it's like, 
even just show me, like, show me what your last block of a training program looked like. Tell me or show me videos of you on the field or what you do or anything like that. And then it's show me what you're doing or tell me what you're doing for your rehab. And like, you're going to see in that, that it's either great or that there's gaps missing. Like somebody can, I have an athlete in Germany, actually, like one of my old uh, university athletes and she's, she can play the sport paddle, like P-A-D-E-L, like that sport paddle. She can play that for two hours and not have pain, but she can't run or like barely walk without pain. What? Yeah switched but there's so much short steps and forced production and like quick movements in that that she has enough recruitment and control to do that she has also like sidebar like a a labral repair that she's healed from so but in that in just the walking and the cyclical repetitive movement that joint doesn't have enough control and enough support in just the day-to-day like the, the marathoners, the endurance muscles in that are missing and the sprinters are taking over and it's enough to get her through that because it's quick, short burst with rest. That's so interesting. Yeah. Isn't that That's fun? a puzzle. Yeah. And so then you watch like, okay, well, show me. So see videos of her move that like on the field and, or the court and then videos of her just walking or running and you can just see that leg in space. No idea what to do. It's like the same, like balance is you standing there and I can like not push you over. Proprioception lives in the joints and stuff. It's like, if you close your eyes and touch your finger to your nose, you know where your joint is in space. So those two components come into play, but especially post-surgical, you're looking at the proprioception of a joint in this regard. And so you have to bridge. Now I have to give her exercises where she needs to control what her leg is doing in space. So like if she's going to, run she's going to take a big step and bring that other leg up and then pause there like squirrel like pause in midair in <laughs> look in the mirror video herself and correct the position of her leg in midair there and then finish that stride to the ground that's so cool so it's and i mean there's so many different contexts for everybody that i work with but like that's an example of how to bridge that gap which was a weird one because it's the reverse of what you normally think and then it's building exercises like that. So it's not just a balance component for her. It's like almost an unloaded component. And she's never had that rehab before. This Okay, there's a lot of different rabbit holes that we could go down in this conversation. But I think the one that jumps out to me is this idea of mobility and stability. Mm-hmm. And this it's obviously there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things in the world of rehab and strength and conditioning to improve mobility and stability. But I think I'm going to give you my definition of the two. And I would love to hear, you know, if you disagree or don't, or, or agree and kind of how you frame it. So when I think of mobility, it's the ability to actively get into ranges of motion under control. I think of stability as a component of mobility, because if you are unstable, you will not have access under control to those ranges. Now, how to train those things, we're going to talk about, but am I kind of on the right path here? I mean, that's a very similar definition to what I use. Okay, perfect. Because we're not talking flexibility, right? which is 
a very often considered passive motion and like what motion can you hit actively rotation is a great example of that yeah yeah okay so whenever i work with a client i will prescribe mobility work and what i prescribe as mobility work very different from what they have previously been issued as mobility work we're not doing banded distractions we're not holding these things for two minutes right this that is flexibility work and yeah there is absolutely a benefit for flexibility work in certain circumstances but as athletes i find it's few and far between so how would you kind of frame that to an athlete who maybe has never been exposed to true mobility work and how would you kind of go about implementing it so sorry how would i frame like why we're going to do mobility work to them yeah like explain to them why you know stretching is not mobility work yeah i mean i think the biggest like going back to the research on it but you're working with someone that wants to be active right and i think many people are now in the school thought like you're not doing any passive stretching before you're trying to do something active because you're decreasing the force production of the muscle and then you're asking that muscle to recruit at either high force or high load and you're just asking for a recipe for disaster so we're trying to prime your body to be able to get yourself into all these positions that you're going to find yourself in sport or life or whatever that is right and so your mobility work is for you very indiv- individualized on what does your body need to be able to move and perform into the positions that you need to get into under control? I love that you said that. I love that you said that because it's going to be different for everybody depending on what the issue is. Like even taking a simple movement, like, like a split squat. If someone has poor internal rotation of their hip versus someone who has very poor external rotation of their hip, the way you would cue that lunge is going to differ. Right. The way you might apply an external load might differ. Mm-hmm. And it's only when you have a deep understanding of movement that you're going to be able to look at that split squat and say, this could be so many different things. Um, <clears throat> the, the topic of stability comes up often. And within the context of mobility, I've already said, for me, it's, it's, are you able to maintain motor control over the ranges that you're accessing? That tells me how stable you are. But you could also say, well, how, how resilient are you are to perturbations of your position, right? Can you, can you hold a position while someone tries to move you? Stability. Or how rigid can you make yourself? Stability. You mentioned rotation, which I think absolutely falls within the realm of stability uh, because something fucking nobody does. Um, so I'm wondering, like, dive in, dive into stability a little bit. Um, just like a quick little case study on it. Cause I just had an assessment on this. Yeah. Uh, like baseball player in the States for four years and pitcher. So was told for pitching, like in order to get you know, he take it takes his pitch from 60 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour kind of thing. You need to get extension out of your low back with rotation so you can get that whip to like kinetic chain stuff. Okay. And like if you're just hinging through your low back, 
without any stability or control of your muscles. You, one, you're not actually generating as much force as you could because you're leaving your core out of it. Right. Two, you're leaving yourself vulnerable to where you are now, which is like no feeling in both your legs. Oh, <laughs> lovely. So, yeah, and we're looking at this and, you know, it's like, I'm sure you've been told by many coaches that are obviously much better at me than pitching that, you know, what you need to do in a pitch, but it doesn't always translate to that athlete where they're like, okay, extension. So it just breaks through the middle to create this extension and rotation without any deep core control to it. And then the rest of it's like ending up through, you know, arms oh, and shoulders. Turning your spine into a noodle. Yeah. Which they was giving that analogy, like the pepper grinder or like corkscrew kind of thing is what you want to make it. But I'm like, you look at all the little muscles that are involved in that, like the rotators and the multifidus and then yeah. like transverse abdominals, blah, 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 all those, those need to be turned on to segmentally control your spine while you're doing that. Otherwise you're just going to keep applying force through your spine. And so it's, that's where we're going with stability. Like you can passively, if you ask somebody to rotate, like even their, their body, they're going to get pretty far. If you ask them to sit there and then just do that with their own muscle control, most of the people in my world are not going to get nearly as far because they don't have the muscle control to take them there. So then you get hit by a football player or you know, knocked by somebody in sport where it like causes rotation and then you go past where you're stable and now now you're just joint. And that's where we see like shoulder dislocations and disc injuries and like all these things come out because they couldn't stabilize. So it's almost like we could consider stability as uh, one's ability to apply or yield to force within a range of motion. Yes. I like, I actually really like that definition. I've never really thought about it that way. I've thought about it more so in a way, uh, more so with regards to rigidity, more so core rigidity. Whenever I think stability, I think core. Um, and I think that has, that, that holds water as well, because uh, yeah. the more stable your core is going to be, the more mobile your extremities can be, uh, the less power leaks you're going to have. But as you mentioned with, with this pitcher or with a throwing athlete or um, even with a sprinting athlete, there are a lot of rotational and, and, and kind of oblique forces that go through the core. And your spine has to be mobile. If you're trying to run with a straight spine, you're not going to be going very fast. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're yeah, running through... People are getting... Sorry? No, this is your oh, podcast. Like... <laughs> people getting like the great example is people getting hit yeah like if you're getting hit you don't just want to be like this solid brick you need to be able to absorb that force and move with it or you're 100 like i'm hit up here in my arm and i don't allow some motion to go with that i'm 100 dislocating my shoulder yeah. now i can also go with that and not have any control or stability in these ranges and i'm still going to dislocate my shoulder and like to be fair, certain positions, it's just going to dislocate your shoulder. But if I have <laughs> enough like control where I've trained, you know, perturbations and stability and mobility, not just flexibility in those motions, if I get hit and, and I go with it and I can absorb the force and I can handle with it out there, I'm, I'm not going to end up injured or having that force hurt me somewhere else. Right. I, yeah. I love it. Um, <clears throat> so 
coming full circle to functional movement. I think I think that little discussion we had about mobility, stability, everything from assessment comes down to what's functional for one person depends entirely on the context to which it's being applied. And I think I think the best example that I can do for my for my listeners or for my audience or for the four people who listen to this plus my mom um, is having people on that do not form hard and fast opinions on things. Yeah. And that this is a common thread. And I just had Ben Giannis on here, who's a phenomenal practitioner himself. He's, he's more so in the, in the biomechanics and hypertrophy field, but you know, even being very young, he still realized like, Hey, there's very few things that are rules. The only rule is that it has to work. But you also have to come from the position of do no harm. So a lot of things work, but a lot of things could potentially do some harm. Yeah. And I think I think having people like yourself, uh, like Ben, and then in the future, like Danny, who are very open-minded and have very large toolboxes to realize that a tool that might have been effective for one person may not be effective for another and could potentially be harmful for that person. And that's okay. You you don't have to have an emotional attachment to it. We chatted about this the other day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So is that something that you actively try to lean into for yourself? Yeah. Well, because it, it doesn't always work, right? You have somebody come back and it doesn't happen often because more open-minded you are, the more you can apply the right tools. Right. But definitely as a younger practitioner, like people come back and like, it's not working. I'll sit there and be like, yes, it is. Like, <laughs> You're not doing it right. Yeah. It's you that's wrong. Um, it's like, I think a lot of people form these attachments because the less you know, the less you're able to understand that there's other things that could happen there. So when you don't have the tools to be able to get that person there or help them in that way, or you're, you know, desperately trying to hold on to clients or something like that, then you do get very emotionally attached to it because you can't defend anything else. Right. You don't have other tools to throw at it, but yeah, I mean, also I see it as a, a huge uh, professional and personal growth is if somebody's coming at me with different viewpoints, a different definition of something like I listen to it, mull that over a little bit, try to understand it, look it up on my phone. like, yeah. And then you, you take tidbits that yes, this can apply to my practice or like, no, this doesn't. There's a lot of courses I've taken. Um, like PNF is one of them or like um, strain counter strain. Okay. And like even the book in it is, this is all you will ever need. Cause the guy's like, this is how I make everybody better. But then you do create a niche for yourself. The only people going to are the people that need this. And so you're like, of course, this is what. Yeah. So they self-select for it. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm like, that's not like having somebody lie there and touching a trigger point and moving that until it doesn't hurt holding it for two minutes and just doing that over and over again, hundred percent, not going to fix my post-op ACL. (laughs) The, um, so how do you feel about Reiki? Yeah. Use it all the time. Okay. <laughs> I actually have a friend that performs Reiki, but <laughs> I don't. Your, how are your uh, chakras? I actually had to do a paper on that. 
uh, like therapeutic touch and Reiki as like a whole research paper. Actually. Uh, yeah. And I like the more I'm researching this, I'm like, uh-huh. If you believe in it and I, I could go down a hole in this. I would love to I get, do it. Do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it right now. I get energy fields. I get our bodies operate at a certain frequency. It's how we discovered ultrasound and like bone stim and muscle stim and all those things. Yeah. Like when you operate a machine at a similar frequency to your body, you are going to help heal that. That's all that. So like we do have that. I don't think that's going to heal a lot of what I see in my world. But if somebody needs that, they should do it. <laughs> like it's no different. I think it's, it's, it's mindfulness for somebody else. However you want to practice mindfulness, you do. Uh, I, I look at it as like, if you want it to work, it's going to fucking work. Right. And then it's going to work until it doesn't. And then you're going to be like, oh, didn't actually work. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I want to be mindful of your time. We're coming up on the hour mark. So I do have a few quick hit questions for you. Mm-hmm. First one. One album that you could listen to with no skips. <laughs> uh people are gonna judge me hard but if it's only four people and your mom that's okay <laughs> kenny rogers and dolly parton's christmas album mm. so wholesome <laughs> so wholesome um what is the worst injury you've ever seen in real life oh that's a good one because it's like one that's just like, oh, that's brutal. And one that's like, oh, this person is fucked. Um, okay, say both. <laughs> <laughs> There's like fish hook through the eye. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> There's, and and then I think, it, I think it was like a 13 year old hip dislocation oh, would have been because you just feel so bad and the problem is so like i'm one at covering an entire high school like track meet right and so i'm tending to one injury and this could dislocate his hip doing long jump and so they moved him off the long jump pit and with a dislocated hip yeah and i mean he's young so like it should be fine be but like oh yeah or there's there's been a few with one of them was like the growth plate so the end of your femur you've got like trochanters and he fractured there so you're looking at this guy's knee they've got pads on and everything too so i'm like is your patella dislocated because it's over here but i'm like but your there's your legs on straight but everything's over here and he could still move and (laughs) So those those are they're pretty good. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> more, more. <laughs> um, do you crack your eggs on a flat surface or on the corner of the pan? Corner. I am not a talented enough chef. <laughs> Why? What do you do? Flat, flat surface. Oh. Chefs, chefs, a, flat surface. Are you a one-handed? No. Egg cracker. No. Look at these mitts. <laughs> this doesn't scream dexterity okay um, five dinner guests dead or alive 
you plus five. Who 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 are you bringing to dinner? Oh, oh my goodness! I don't think we have enough time to ponder that over. It, that's that why is... it's a quick hit. First five people quick that hit, jump quick in hit. your head. Oh my goodness! Um, not to take it sappy, but like my mom. Okay. I lost her when I was younger, so like she'd be fun to have another conversation with. Yeah. Uh, now I'm thinking like celebrities or. Yeah, it's a tough question. Mike Tyson. <laughs> Your mom and Mike Tyson. <laughs> I think that would be a great dynamic. I think so too. I don't know your mom and I don't know Mike Tyson, but I think it'd be cool. <laughs> it'd be fun. Uh, well, Doug Richards, he's a sport med doc that I've worked with for years. Okay. Mine very much like ours. So he'd be one to keep conversation and like full of fun tidbits like we just talked about, right? Yeah. Uh, I wish animals could talk. You're like gone. 100% like Oh yeah. I'd inject her with like some, whatever you can to be able to hear her thoughts for like a solid hour. (laughs) Ah, one more. If you bring your dog, you got to bring your husband. That's, that's true. I guess Brent can come too. (laughs) Yeah. That's a, it's a very interesting group of people. (laughs) Do you Um, have yours off the top of your head? Listen, this isn't, you're not interviewing me. Okay. Okay, we'll do this again where I do. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, last question. If there's one person you wanted to see on this podcast, but the caveat is you had to help me get them on, who would it be? Ah. Taking notes. Yeah. What immediately strikes me is like a coach of a sport, like a like one of our national team sports or or something like that, like bring one of those coaches on. Yeah, I would love to. Give me one. It'd be interesting, like really good rugby coach, like Duncan McNaughton would be someone to have on. Uh, okay. Let's see what else I'm thinking. Man, there's a. I don't know. I'll t- I'll text you some. Okay. I gotta I gotta think longer. There's there's a few in there, but like someone that is open minded, but is very high performing in their sport, yeah. but also like they get a little into the sports. So it'd be interesting to see what we can tease out there. I would love that. Um, so where can people find you and give us a little bit of tidbit on like what you're currently working on because I think it's really exciting. Yeah, um, you can find me. So probably easiest way is either um, like through social media. So Instagram or Facebook, you can see my profile in there. I'm Jen Bushel Athletic Therapy. So you can DM me or like take a look at my content. I've got my link tree up there. I've also got my link to online booking, which has links to, yeah, how to book with me, my, my bio on there. Um, I'm operating the clients I see now are very much on this sort of hybrid model. So if we need to do in-person appointments, we do. And we take a look at this full approach that you and I have just chatted about for the last hour. But as we know, there's so much to change and to do in the rest of in between appointments. So you don't need to wait the two weeks till you see me again. If you see me again at all, 
to show me all your movements, ask me all the questions. We run out of time. We don't get a chance to do manual work. And then it turns out you've been doing shit wrong for the last two weeks. So we operate all that in a <laughs> in sort of a hybrid model. So we get to all that in between therapy. So that's how I operate now. Awesome. People get better a lot faster. Thanks. Good model with you. Um, yeah. Is that how, and then we have a website 360 recovery zone. So if you go on there, we don't update the website a whole lot, but it's got all the links to get you to the other things too. And you're putting together a course. Yes. Yeah. So everything we just talked about is sort of like my approach to assessment. And there's going to be caveats in there to how you alter that to your approach to assessment, because everybody works in a slightly different field sometimes, but it's a, that full functional approach. There's a big part on that history taking, which we said is like the very boring part of it, but also yet really exciting when you get into it. For sure. um, so what questions you want to ask, how to bridge those gaps so that you don't end up three weeks down the line being like, oh my God, I just never asked that question. Turns out this guy's like sleeping on a futon that he found in the garbage for the last three weeks. I had a back athlete like that, you know, like things like that play into it. If you could get that right from the beginning, <laughs> you could save yourself a lot of redundancy. I feel and like we need to into dive it. into why this guy was sleeping on a futon he found in the garbage. I don't know. Cheap athletes, man. <laughs> they moved to a new city. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the whole, right. And then the whole functional approach to it. So what we're looking at, how to sort of tease out the noise in an assessment. What are the things you don't need to care about? What are the things that you do? How to filter that down? And, and then what do you implement next? Love it. So that's the course that I'm working on putting out next. Love it. Well, thank you, Jen, so much for joining us. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Instagram at Paulo Need or at Master Athletic Performance or at Coach's Corner U. Uh, please visit www.masterathletic.com if you'd like to work with myself or any one of my coaches. Or if you're looking to take your continuing education to the next level, visit coachescorneru.com. We've got a bunch of uh, new courses in the works namely one on sleep and one on online coaching. Those should be getting launched within the next three months. And then we have our education platform that has updated content on a monthly basis, Discord channel, community, all the bells and whistles. So thank you so much, Jen, for joining us. And Thanks have a great day, everyone. <laughs>